Hello, refreshers, and welcome to the She Hit Refresh podcast, a podcast for women age 30 and up who want to break free from routine and start a life of travel, specifically women who want to move abroad or travel the world long term. My name is Seppi, rhymes with Peppy, and I am your host. I'm originally from Houston, Texas. I spent a few years in Austin before moving to Madrid, Spain in 2015 at 35 years old. I'm now 41 and still here in Spain, but have temporarily relocated to Malaga on the coast. I'm so glad you're here listening. And you know what? We just wrapped up season three of the podcast where I spoke to women in the travel industry who are making an impact and helping others live their best lives. We talked about everything from corporate runaway stories, remote work tips, grief, mental health, planning for retirement, solo female travel, moving abroad during a pandemic, building generational income, and much, much more. If you're new to the podcast, be sure to catch up on this season and our last two seasons as well. And we'll be back with season four in the fall, where we'll be sharing inspiring stories of our members. If you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, please join us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash she hit refresh. This podcast is an extension of that group and we have just about 7,000 members worldwide there. So come join us and get even more information and inspiration on how you too can hit refresh. All right, so today's episode is actually a bonus, a teaser for season four, and I just know you're going to love it. But before we dive into today's episode, I just want to ask, is there anyone out there who is looking to move to Europe? If so, you need to check out my digital book, I'm Out of Here, an American's Ultimate Visa Guide to Living in Europe. This book is the ultimate guide for those who want to move to Europe but feel completely lost, frustrated, or stuck with their visa options. I did the research and went through 44 European countries and narrowed it down to the 16 easiest countries that you can move to that have viable visa options. You'll find info about each country, over 50 visa options, and details on 34 cities to relocate to. It's literally everything you need to know about finding the right visa and location in Europe for you to start your new life in. One that's feasible and the right fit for you. Get your copy today and start planning your exit strategy. You can purchase the digital book at shehitrefresh.com. You'll see the book info on our homepage and you can also find the link in our show notes. All right, so today's episode, today's episode, we have Lori Tharps joining us. Lori L. Tharps is an author, journalist, educator, and podcast host who uses her words to spark conversation and change around issues of race and diversity. She is the author of the book, Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America, and the memoir, Kinky Gaspacho, Life, Love, and Spain. And she has written for the New York Times, Washington Post, Essence, and Glamour magazines. She is just an incredible force. She is a mother of three, and in today's episode, which we actually recorded in early May, she was just nine days away from making her move from Philadelphia in the U.S. to Malaga, Spain. So listen in as Lori gives us an insight into those last final days of closing up shop of your life in one country and prepping for a big move with your family to another continent. I know you guys want to know, is she packed? What do the kids think? Did she quit her job? Is she nervous? Where will she live? And so much more is what we're going to cover in this episode. So what I think really makes this episode special is that in six months, we'll be checking in with Lori to see how her life has unfolded in Spain since we last talked in this episode. So give it a listen, and I hope you enjoy. All right, Lori, uh, welcome to the She Hit Refresh podcast. Thank you. It's so exciting to be here. I'm such a fan. <laughs> uh, likewise, I'm such a fan of your of you and your podcast and all you do. So it's such an honor to have you on here with us. And I'm really excited about this episode because you got some exciting news coming up. Yeah, totally exciting. And I, I feel like I owe it all to She Hit Refresh. That's why I, I totally feel like I'm fangirling because this podcast has been so important to me. 
Um, and it's been such an inspiration. So to be here on the other side is pretty exciting. Oh, thank you for that. And I know your story, you sharing the story is going to inspire so many women. So um, how about you tell us a little bit about what's going on? I'd love to know. Yeah, well, you can let our audience know, you know, who you are, what you do, and then start dripping in what's going on in your life. Sure. Okay. So again, my name is Lori and um, I am a writer and an author, and I've spent the last 11 years as a professor of journalism at Temple University in Philadelphia, which is where I live right now. I have always wanted to be a writer and um, I became a journalist because that is a writer with a job. So my, my journalism career started in New York City after graduate school and I worked in the magazine industry for a long time. And then I had kids and then we moved to Philadelphia. So that slowed down into a job of teaching. Um, in academia, which was really great is and that it afforded me to continue writing. But in addition to writing, there's always always the teaching and all the administrative stuff that went with that job. But it was a great stage of my life that allowed me to write, parent and, you know, be a professional. So that was all very good and very exciting. And also, I guess I should mention that my husband is Spanish. Um, He's from Spain and we met during my junior year of college. Um, I went to the University of Salamanca for a year. He's from the south of Spain, from Cadiz, but he was at the University of Salamanca as well. And we met, I mean, it's such a cliche. We met, fell in love. Uh, He followed me back to the United States. We had this back and forth, back and forth. Like I would go to Spain, he'd come to the States and we married seven years later. And so when we first got married, we always said we would live in the States because at the time, the economy was just not so good in Spain and it seemed like it would be make more sense to live in the United States. And we always thought, well, we'll live in the States, but we'll spend our summers in Spain. But A, that's not practical when you have a real job. And B, when you add three kids to your life and airfare goes up really high, which it did, it just didn't become practical. So we didn't go to Spain every summer as we had hoped. So yeah, so that's that's kind of my life theoretically right now. That's who I am and that's what my backstory is. And oh, I also, I'm an author. So I've written a bunch of books, um, nonfiction books, mostly about um, race and multiculturalism, diversity and identity politics. Love it. And we'll drop the links to the books in, in the show notes. Um, oh my gosh, so many interesting things there. And I don't know if the audience got it, but Lori is moving to Spain. So she, I mean, you were talking about your, your, your job as a professor in the past tense. So that means that you have left that job. And I know that was very recent, um, but you are actually actively moving to Spain. When this podcast is being um, recorded right now, I think you're moving in like nine days. Is that right? <laughs> That's exactly right, Steffi. It is nine days. And we're going to use every one of those nine days to get ourselves out this door. It's crazy. Uh, I have so many questions about all of this. Uh, Yeah, you're going to need those nine days. And I'm sure you wish you had more, but you'll make it happen. So how long has your husband been living in the U.S. then? Like, when did he move to the U.S.? How long have you guys been there? So he's been here, I think. Oh God, I can't do math, but it's been more than 25 years. Wow. Okay. So that is a long time. And so- this idea to move to Spain, when did that come up for you? Like how long have you, like why move to Spain and how long have you been sitting on this idea? Okay. So in high school, <laughs> literally the first boy I ever kissed was from Spain. It was this group of exchange students who came to our high school and he was the first boy who ever, whatever. He was like, you're so beautiful. I was like, I was, it was again, cliche, cliche, cliche. Um, So the exchange program was the Spanish students from Madrid came to the U.S. to our school. And then we were supposed to go to Madrid. Like there was a group of us that were supposed to go. But my parents wouldn't send me because um, it was too expensive. I went to a private school and like my parents were paying tuition, working like seven jobs to send me to school. And they were like, we're not sending you to Spain. That's ridiculous. Like an ridiculous amount of money for like a 10 day trip. And my mom always said, you can go to college. When you go to college, you can spend a junior year away. We'll pay for that, but we're not paying for this. So at that moment, my stubborn little 17 year old broken heart was like, one day I will go to Spain and I will live in Spain and I will follow my heart and my passion. And I really was passionate about learning Spanish from a very early age. And um, I wrote in my journal, one day I will live in Spain. Spain will change my life. That was when I was 17. 
And I did spend my junior year there. And even though I didn't love my experience for different reasons that had more to do with race than anything else, I did love Spain as in the lifestyle and everything like that. So in my mind, Spain has always been this place that was going to be, if not a permanent place, but something that like it's just been it's been like this relationship that I've had that I could never, you know, end until I completed the relationship. I consummated a relationship. I don't know what the metaphor continuation would be, but it's always been in my mind. I married a Spaniard thinking that would somehow get me closer to moving to Spain. That's not the only reason I married him. But like I said, the intention was, well, we have to, we're going to stay in the United States, but we'll go back and forth. But that didn't really happen. And, and life happened. And whether I lived in Spain or I lived somewhere abroad, it was always a dream of mine to live abroad. I became a writer specifically because I wanted to be untethered to a specific location. I had this vision of myself living a very global life. But I live a very normal life with, you know, a kid's mortgage, all that normal stuff. Right. And so in 2014, I had the opportunity to take a group of students to London through my university. Um, A faculty member always gets to go with the students for six weeks and um, you teach. They give you an apartment. You're not only teaching, but you're like making sure the students go on field trips. And I mean, it's, it's a complete like position. But again. Um, I got to bring my family. We stayed in a really lovely hotel right in in Kensington, which is like one of the nicest parts of London. We were like neighbors with Prince, what's uh, Kate and what's the other one? Not William. Harry. William, William, thank you. Yes, right. So, so, I mean, just a stunning experience, which of course is not the normal person's experience, but it really reopened that desire to live abroad again that had been dormant, just kind of raising kids, working, you know, the things that you just don't have time to dream anymore. So both my husband and I were like, oh my God, we could do this. Um, This is so amazing. And our kids were all in. We had the chance to go back in 2017, same thing in London again. This time we traveled a little bit more. So we went to Manchester, we went to Bristol. Some friends of ours from New York had recently, with kids our same age, had moved to Bristol. And we were like, it's possible. Like we could really do this. So in 2017, I came back home and desperately started looking for jobs in England because we figured, speak, I, don't know, I speak English, like maybe I could get a teaching job there. Um, it's closer to Spain, still kind of sort of in between, you know, I can get back to the US in six hours, you can be in Spain, but I couldn't find a job in England. Like it just nothing, 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 nothing. And I kind of gave up. And then one last time in 2019, I got a research grant and we spent a summer in Cadiz in Spain. And six weeks living in a lovely apartment with my kids. And it was, again, that like, let's try, let's do this. This is so wonderful. I love Spain. I always love Spain. This is it. It's great. Um, And so I got a sabbatical. Like, again, I keep trying to work the university connections. Got a sabbatical to spend the year in Spain working on a book project in 2020. And we all know what happened in 2020, the pandemic. And so everything was canceled. It was just over because my child, my elder my middle child, but because he was going to be a senior in this 2021, we didn't think we could do a sabbatical for that year. And so because of COVID where I've, you know everybody is sitting in their house and really reflecting on what's important in life, what's meaningful, we kind of just sat down and decided like life's not promised. Nothing is guaranteed. My husband was really, really looking forward to that sabbatical year so he could spend time with his family. His parents are aging and he had missed living with them for so long. And so I just was like, why don't we just move to Spain? Like, why don't we stop pretending or trying to tiptoe, like practice? Um, Why don't we just rip the bandaid off and just do it? And I have to say a lot of it's because I had been listening to podcasts, like she hit refresh and reading blogs and all these other people who had taken that big leap and done it. And I thought, what we could do it too. There's nothing holding us back except fear, uncertainty, whatever. But like, again, after the racial unrest in the US, after COVID, again, that idea that life isn't guaranteed. If we have these dreams, we have these desires, what are we waiting for? And that was um, kind of the, the moment. It was kind of mid COVID, <laughs> like a few months into COVID, I think when we started really saying we could do this, I think we could do it. 
Uh, how exciting is that? But what were some of the fears that came up? Of course, fear of uncertainty, because you just don't know. But I know, you know, we had talked about this last year when we were doing the um, uh, the Make It Happen online course. I know one of your fears was leaving your job. I mean, you had just had a great job. And so what were some of the fears that you were um, working through? Yeah, so... I mean, the first, you know, that first moment where you're like, let's do it. And because it was COVID, you weren't talking to anybody else. Like it was really just this like little secret between my husband and I, we didn't even tell our kids because we didn't want to, you know, it's just an idea. And my husband and I are dreamers. We often come up with crazy ideas that never go anywhere, but we, you know, we talk like that. So we didn't want to get our kids involved. We didn't want to get anyone involved, but it was still just a thought. But the things that um, I was, I mean, one, it was a global pandemic and Spain was one of the hardest hit countries. So even though we're like, we love Spain, it was like, what's going to happen to Spain? Like there were so many predictions of like economic collapse or, you know, just, I mean, nobody even knew. So that was the biggest thing was like COVID might not just clear up and this wouldn't even be a choice. Like that was kind of up until even recently, it was like, are we even going to be able to, like, are the borders even going to be open? Like, could we even get an airplane to get there? So we may do everything we're supposed to, but what if we get stopped literally by, you know, border issues? The other thing, of course, was not only, not, not even the idea of leaving my job. So I am a tenured professor. Getting tenure practically killed me. I mean, like physically practically killed me. Um, like statistics, statistically, the fact that I'm a woman, the fact that I'm a black woman, the fact that I'm a mother of three, the fact that I had my last child in the middle of the tenure process, all of these things like on paper says, you shouldn't get tenure, like you're not supposed to have tenure. So it was such a triumph for me to get tenure. And walking away from that, not only was it like, personally, like you're walking away from secure, like the kind of security that people would bite off their left arm for, but also like the idea that I, my position means something to other women coming behind me. So it wasn't just like, oh, this decision is just about me. It's a decision that I know that others would literally be mad because I've taken this, this prize and like, casually toss it aside because, because I can, um, because I'm not thinking about what that means for, again, other women behind me. So there was that it was it. So that was like a, not a fear, but a deep, deep concern about like, who am I to walk away from something so prestigious? Who am I to walk away from something that others, you know, would die to have? That was definitely something that caused me a lot of not distress, but like trying to figure out if was I crazy for thinking that like other people, like, I just, I love how you call them corporate runaway stories, Steffi. Like, is that just frivolous? Like, I can't just do that without really thinking about the consequences. And my concern was maybe I don't even understand the consequences until I've been, you know, the last time I was a freelance writer, I like bounced a check at the grocery store for $17. So I'm like, I do remember that that life wasn't exactly uh, <laughs> glamorous. So I'm giving up the security for that. So I think the, because of my age and my status, like there's that whole, why don't you just stick it out and just wait till you retire? Like, why do you do it now? Um, what if I get sick? What if somebody else gets sick? Like all of those kind of things that that a secure tenured professor position offers. I think those were the things that I was worried about the most is that I was giving a, giving up something both prestigious, but also secure. That completely makes sense. And so what was kind of, I guess, the final straw or the catalyst that made you say, look, okay, given all of that, that I've achieved and kind of this path that I might be paving for other people, I still know the right decision is to walk away and follow, you know, my gut or follow my instinct to, to, to leave what I've achieved to follow this new dream or not this new dream, this dream that I've had. Um, honestly, it was, she hit refresh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. seriously, this group has been so like fundamental in helping me conceptualize what I'm doing. Um, so you know that I obviously took the class with you, your make it happen goal setting class. And it was very interesting because 
I took the class because I thought I just needed somebody to help me like organize the plan to get me from point A to Spain, right? But what in fact happened in that over the course of that class that we did, I realized that Spain was just a means to an end for me to explore the other things that I've really wanted to do professionally, which is to explore my creative writing. Um, as I started, I think I said earlier, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. I became a journalist because I was a writer with a, a job. Um, but I've always been excited about creative writing and I feel myself to be a very creative person. And in the, in the class that you led, you really helped me reconnect with my kind of passions and desires as a writer. Um, as a creative person and somebody in the she hit, refresh, she hit refresh group, I wish I remembered who it was, but they made, they wrote this such a great quote and they said, um, the one thing that can get in the path, the, the thing that gets in the way of having a great life is a good life. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I do have a good life and, but I could have a great life. Right. And the thought of that, that quote, and then the other quote was somebody said something like, we only have one life. And um, this woman said, we only have one life. So I'm trying to cram as much into it as I possibly can, because we don't get to come back and try again. I mean, unless, of course, you believe in um, reincarnation, which even if you do believe in reincarnation, this this mind is not in the same body. So it doesn't really count. So those two particular responses really shook me because what I don't want to do is live my life with regrets. I don't want to turn around and say, I didn't try. I, I really want to write fiction. I really want to write children's books. And, and I, I believe I will be good at it. I mean, I've already written a novel, but like, I believe that I have so many more stories to tell and I want to try, like, I have literal visions of myself, which you helped me remember um, in that class. So, so that catalyst was reminding myself that I actually do have other dreams. I think if my dream all along had been to be in academia, I would have kept my butt in the chair and like just figured out how to, again, travel with school, go on summer breaks, that kind of thing. But that was never my dream. It was just a means to an end. I became an academic so that my kids go to college for free. Um, I became an academic so that I could um, eat, <laughs> you know, like so I could have a paycheck. Um, I love teaching and I'm very good at it. So it was a pleasurable experience and I learned a lot and gained a lot, but that wasn't my dream. It never was. And reconnecting with what my true like passions and dreams are. Um, and again, I think with the backdrop of COVID snatching lives indiscriminately made me say, what are you waiting for? And I think one other person, I remember somebody think, saying something along the lines of like, if I wait till I'm like retired, I'll be achy and sore and won't be able to, you know, like this body won't be ready to enjoy the life that I'm trying to create for myself. So those were the kind of things that made me say, okay, fear is real, but what if, what happens on the other side? And I think this was also you, Seppi, I'm not sure. I don't want to attribute it to you if it wasn't you, but instead of asking what's the best, that, what's the worst that can happen, ask what's the best that can happen. And it's like, Oh, right. So stop thinking about the worst case scenario and start thinking about the best case scenario. And that's what I've been doing. And that gets me over the fear because the fear is there. Don't get me wrong. It's still there. Um, I just handed in the keys to my office today and it was kind of like crying them out of my cold, dead hands. I'm like, okay, no, really take them. I'm, I'm ready. I'm gone. I'm, I'm good to go. You take them. No, no, you take them. <laughs> So yeah, the fear is still there, but it's that idea that what if there's a better life? This isn't necessarily it. And that's a kind of exciting thought, but we're so trained to be grateful for what we have and not to dream for more or ask for more, but why not? Exactly. Oh my gosh, you're giving me goosebumps. Um, I'm so glad you joined the course last year. For anyone listening, we will be running it, running it again. It's uh, Make It Happen is the name of the course. It's a six-week course that we did. And really kind of the, the meat of the course is really just to help women find clarity, gain momentum and take action. And so it's just incredible to see you, Lori, taking action on all the things that as a group collectively we were talking about, you know, during that course, you know, we talked about our fears, our ideas, our dreams, you know, it was kind of an open space to talk through all of that. 
And I remember you just kind of think like, but what if, but what if, oh yeah. And like coming to all these conclusions and just your energy um, and your insights and to see it like come to like fruition, like it's happening in nine days, you are taking action <laughs> on all the things that you had talked about last year is incredible. And I just want to um, give props to you because you are such a brave woman to be, yeah, taking this leap. And you haven't shared your age because I'm sure our listeners are curious to know because you're married, you have three children. And what? How old are you, if you don't mind sharing? No, I, again, thanks to She Hit Refresh, I'm not embarrassed about telling my age. Like a year ago, I might've been like, well, Steffi, let's not talk about that. But um, no, I'm 49 and I was talking to uh, uh, one of my clients, I do book coaching on the side. And she was saying like, Oh, my gosh, you're so brave. And I really would love to do that. And I was like, How old are you? And she's like 35. And I was like, Oh, my God, I was like, she's like, I got to get my life. I was like, you have time, you have time. But um, I was like, it's taken me this long to get up the kind of courage. And and I do believe it's because I am 49, not 35, that I'm like, look, I kind of, I've seen, I've, I've been through like good and bad times, so on and so forth. So I kind of know that you can bounce back from almost anything. So, I mean, I've never done this, but there is something that comes with age, I think, that makes you realize, again, worst case scenario, I can come back, right? I mean, literally worst case scenario, I can come back. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I always tell people. Well, one, yes. So we I love that quote, like, don't let a good life get in the way of a great one. So we've definitely shared that. And she hit refresh. That one really struck me. But also, I always tell our refreshers that like worst case scenario, you can go back to your comfortable life that you had, you know, you're going to find another job, you can get another house, another car, another whatever. But I mean, you're going to lose time if you don't, you know, take action on these dreams that you've been sitting on. And many of us have, these aren't like a whim. It's not something we just woke up and thought about. These are dreams that we've had for a long time. And so if not now, when, but I know for you, one of the, maybe the concerns or one of the things that you were thinking about in making this leap is like, it's not just a decision that, you know, that you're making for yourself or not just you and your your husband, but you have children to think about too. And that's a disruptive to their life because you're completely changing their environment. So how are your kids? Are they excited? And kind of what's the plan for them? Like how old are they? They're still school age or how old are they? Yeah, and, and I really wanna share this because I'm always desperate to hear like, how did other people do this with kids? Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of podcasts will talk about women making this leap and traveling. They often don't have kids. And I mean, because a lot of parents are like, I wouldn't do that to my kids. But um, one of the reasons, and again, I think I we worked on this in our class that you taught us that, you know, you have to know your why and you have to remind yourself of your why constantly because doubts will creep in, you know, naysayers will, you know, well-meaning friends and family will be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing this. And, and there's just times when you have to tell yourself, wait, this is why I'm doing it. And one of the big whys is because my children I have a Spanish father. And, you know, I feel as their mother, it is my responsibility to show them both sides of their cultures, allow them to be um, immersed and, and live as Spanish children. I don't want them to, you know, come back in their 20s and 30s and being like, I can't believe you didn't teach us this. or I can't believe you never gave us this opportunity, which I feel like children always do. They blame their parents for everything. And I don't want to I want to be like, look, I gave you the opportunity. So one of those again, one of the big whys is that we so my I have three children. My eldest is 19 and he's actually not coming with us. And I feel terrible about that because I, I wasn't able to give that to him, even though of all three of my children, he's the one that has been to Spain the most times and the, for the longest periods. He speaks Spanish the best, but he has a life kind of started already here. So he's not coming. My middle son is 16 and my daughter is nine. So the 16-year-old and the nine-year-old will be coming with us. It, it has been challenging for the 16-year-old because entering into Spanish high school is the system is very different than the American system. He does speak Spanish. My husband has only spoken Spanish to our children. Like they've never heard him. Like he's never spoken English to them. So they have a good ear. They speak well, but they don't read and write at grade level. So it's, I don't want him going to a British school, which is a lot of the um, choices for English speakers because the British system is also extremely different. And we have no interest in sending him to school in England. So he was our biggest challenge. A lot of people were, when I um, investigated and asked other people who had taken teenagers to Spain, 
really struggled. A lot of them said, I just had to leave my son back in the United States or we didn't, we didn't go for that reason. And I was like, well, that's not an option. <laughs> so basically we are looking for international schools. So an international school tends to still be a Spanish school where they speak a little bit of English or they may have international students and he's going to repeat 11th grade. Um, so he'll do two years of high school. And in Spain, high school, the last two years are kind of a, a unit anyway. So he's okay with that. Thanks to COVID, my son has been, both my children have been in school in their bedrooms for the entire year, plus half of last year. So I think because of that, he's like happy to go anywhere, like just get him out of his bedroom. So I, it's, it's ironic that COVID has made both kids actually quite excited just because it's something to look forward to after a year and a half of this pandemic where they've, again, they haven't seen their friends really except online. They haven't been out and about. They haven't been in clubs or teams and anything. So, so school for like real school sounds actually quite exciting. Um, we've also, he's a young birthday, so he'll still graduate high school at 18. He'll still, um, you know, not that that matters, but to kids, it kind of matters, you know, this idea that I'll be so old, he won't be. And so as far as their like excitement, the 16 year old is understandably vacillates between nervousness, but also excited. Again, much of that because of COVID. And the nine-year-old will probably be dropped into a regular public school or they're called concertado schools, which is somewhere between a kind of a private and a public school. And she's every day gets up eight more days, nine more days. I can't wait. She is so excited, which makes me I'm like, I thank God every day that my children are this resilient. I mean, they're normal. They're not like, they're not abnormally excited. Well, the daughter is, <laughs> but again, I think it's because of COVID. Like she's just been locked up all week for a year, but my son is at a normal place. You know, he's, he's, he's okay. He talks about being nervous, but I know it could be much worse. You know, I know a lot of teens would be kicking and screaming about this kind of disruption in their lives, but um, I'm very grateful. And I think because their father is Spanish, we have gone to Spain. They have family in Spain. Um, I mean, they don't have friends there or anything like that, but it's not a completely new environment for them. And my fingers are just doubly crossed that, you know, people are nice to my kids and they like, you know, they are able to get that experience. and. Even if the experience is horrible, they've had the experience and you can't take that away and they can make the choice. I don't like living in Spain. I'm going to go back to the U.S. Like that's perfectly reasonable. And I want to, again, my job as a parent is done. I gave them that access to their other culture. And again, they can make the choice on their own. Thank you so much for sharing. Yes. I mean, I wish I mean, my mom um, is Colombian. My dad's Iranian. Um, and I did not. I mean, growing up, I had exposure to their cultures, but I just wish they would have done more, right? You do blame everything on your parents. Like, right. Of course. Teach me your languages. Why didn't you, I don't know, take me to your countries and all that stuff. So I think it's beautiful giving them that experience. I do want to touch on something that you said, and it's a question that came up in the community when I let people know I was interviewing you. And I definitely see this question come up in other groups. Kenya asked, she said she would like to go to Spain, but she hears so many horror stories about black people's experience in Spain. So I would love to hear, I know you have your book, Kinky Gaspacho, where I think you touch on some of this of your own personal experience, but also how do you feel? Well, what, what is your experience or what has been your experience as a black woman in Spain? And do you fear at all for your children uh, that they may experience some, some negativity from people here in Spain? I mean, as we know, like racism is everywhere, but it's a different experience here in Spain. I'm sure than in the US. Yeah. So this is kind of a complicated answer, but I'll try to make it as concise as possible. So I was at the University of Salamanca and it's like the oldest university in Spain. I was there for a year. I spent two weeks in Madrid and traveled around a lot because our program, the program I was on, you know, wanted to see all of Spain. And after that year in Spain, if you would have asked me if I would have ever gone back to Spain, I would have said no. Um, I, I did, like I said, I, I loved a lot about the culture, but I was annoyed almost 90% of the time because people were constantly um, pointing at me, calling me Morena everywhere I went. Like I just couldn't be uh, inconspicuous. Like everywhere I went, somebody had to remind me that I was black. I'm like, thank you. I forgot for a second. So it was the pointing. It was the staring. It was the, are you, do you know Naomi Campbell? Do you know like every other black person and, you know, famous black person? 
Sometimes it was amusing, but oftentimes it just, it just, it shocked me that anybody could be, that, that in, this was in the nineties, but in the 20th century, like you could have so much ignorance around race. And um, there was an Asian woman on my, uh, on my program. And when she walked around, people would literally call her Toyota to her face. And when I had a, you know, some, a good friend of mine was blonde and it was the same kind of just look somebody who looks different and it was the kind of pointing and staring and and call it not evil names but just pointing out your differences so it's la morena y la rubia like when my friend and i would walk by you know the black girl and the blonde girl <laughs> isn't that funny so it 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 didn't feel like racism it felt like ignorance and that's what i always said i never was afraid um but i was often annoyed like just annoyed and then I freaking fell in love with a Spaniard and had to keep going back and forth to Spain. And those experiences, because I was always always going to his town, like going to Cadiz, um, and, and he lives in a small town in Cadiz, people got used to me. So it wasn't the same level of like staring and pointing, but it was still the kind of running into like a black mammy figure or watching people during carnival dressed up as mammies. Like there was just so many things that I was like, this whole country annoys me. Like, and then I married the Spaniard and I had a child and I thought, well, I have a black and Spanish child. I have got to figure out how to reconcile my annoyance with this country and their understanding of race. And that's what I dug deep into the history of Spain and discovered Spain has a really, really powerful Black, like African Black, not Moorish history, but history of Africans in their country, significantly in the South, um, in cities like Sevilla and Cadiz. And, and so I ended up writing my book, Kinky Gaspacho, about my experience as a Black woman, but then figuring, finding this, this history. And the irony was that even though, I mean, I'm not a scholar, I'm a journalist, but I found this history and wrote about it. And yet almost everybody I spoke to in Spain, like the common person had no idea that there was a black history in Spain. So that kind of became my thing was like unearthing and uncovering Spain's black history whenever and however I could. And then I just left Spain alone. Like I just couldn't deal. I'm coming back around to this though, in that when I mentioned that in 2019, we spent a summer in Cadiz where my research project was to look at the black experience in Spain 10 years since my book had come out. I wanted to see if anything had changed as far as race relations, the Black experience, et cetera. And I ended up doing a podcast, like a two-part, like audio documentary, if you will. And I was inspired to do it because I had seen in like academic and artistic circles that a lot of people were investigating what Blackness meant in Spain. And there were books that I, I mean, books, videos, documentaries, um, conferences, it seemed like there was a flourishing of interest now by Spaniards themselves, not outsiders. And I was just walking around bookstores and seeing, I was like, oh my God, I was telling my husband, look at these books. Oh my God, look at all the stuff that there is now where people are actually recognizing that there is a Black history in Spain. There's also a, I'm, I know you know, um, Sienna Brown who runs Las Morenas de España. There's an influx of Black women who have made Spain their home, both from the United States and from England, and are living their best lives there. And so I interviewed a lot of people. I had my own experiences, and I felt like Spain, I don't want to say it's made a, a 180, because there's still a lot of ignorance, but I don't think it's as, I don't know if it's because I'm older and I don't care, or I don't, no, nobody needs to call me out anymore because I'm like an old lady. I don't know, but... I found that in 2019, when I went back to Spain, and I've talked to other people who have been to Spain as often as I have and can see the change. And I do think that there is a lot more awareness. I do feel that there's a lot less of what I experienced in 1992 and three. However, I do still hear from Black students from the United States who go to Spain for their study abroad who are like, yeah, everybody stares at me and points at me. And so... I think it's better than it was. Like, I think there's a much more awareness that you shouldn't point at Black people and call them names or, you know, and call them chocolate. <laughs> you know, like that was one of my favorite ones. Um, I can't speak for an entire country. I can only speak for like the research that I did and speaking to a lot of Black women who find the their experiences in Spain to not be problematic. 
racism is everywhere, including in Spain. There are a lot of anti-racism groups, particularly in Madrid and Barcelona. I am like, I don't want to walk into another country and become the ambassador for race relations at all. Although I am still interested in, in continuing, continuing to tell the story of Spain's Black history because it's re still relatively unknown. As far as my children are concerned, because my husband is Spanish and he's very pale, my children are very pale. And probably most people won't know that they're Black. They may think they're Moroccan, which actually gives me some pause because people are also actually quite racist against Moroccan people in Spain. But their experiences so far in Spain have never been problematic. They've never experienced anything um, resembling racism since they've been there. And that's privilege. I mean, that's pure privilege. If my children were the same color as me, if they had dreadlocks like I did, I would be worried to a certain extent. And that's actually one of the reasons why I stayed away for so long and didn't entertain the idea of moving to Spain was because I was like, I'm not raising my black children in Spain. That is a place that will crush their little spirits because of the, again, the ignorance, not the racism. So I think like my response to anybody who is black, who's like, oh, I want to go to Spain, but I heard they're racist there. Okay, A, racism everywhere. B, I think the difference I think between me in 1992 and me now, besides just gray hair and wisdom, is I am a lot more confident with who I am. And other people's ignorance doesn't make me any less than, it makes them just ignorant. It used to hurt me so much. I think when I went into Spain earlier in my life, I wanted to just be Spanish. I just love the country so much. I wanted to be just like one more Spaniard. And there was that like constant reminder that, oh, we see you as an outsider. You're not one of us. Now, when I go to Spain, I'm like, you people are so cute. Like, I love your culture, but I don't want to be you. I don't need your acceptance. And so I think that's where it is, is that if you are going to Spain and you want to, um, and you understand what you're going into and you're not looking for, quote unquote, like somebody to, not like they'll be mean to you, but you understand who you are and what your identity, your, your racial identity means, I think you'll be fine. I don't feel like the racism in Spain is the kind that would make you not be able to thrive in the country. Now, again, I haven't lived there in a long time. I spent six weeks living there. I'm air quoting living there in 2019 and had a glorious time had no problems, no staring, nobody calling me names, felt like I must have been over. I was like, what, what was I so worried about all those years ago? Why was I making all the fuss? But um, I know what I experienced was real. Um, but I do think the change was in me with not expecting, not expecting that just because we weren't in the United States, that people weren't racist or ignorant. And, and, and that doesn't bother me anymore. So yeah, so that's, I mean, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. Um, I would, and I'm not trying to like self-promote, but the, the audio memoir that I did, you get the voices of a lot of different people, including Black Spaniards, um, you know, professors, Black and British women who um, live in Spain right now. And you, you know, everybody has their own experience. And I think you can get a good sense of it because one person doesn't mean anything. One person's glorious experience doesn't negate another person's awful experience. And in that, in that audio memoir, you hear a little bit of everything. So I think that's the best thing you can do is like try to just hear different voices. And, you know, I did the work of gathering those voices in one spot so you can kind of hear it and make your own decision. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Where can people find um, the audio memoir? Yeah, it's on, it's on my, um, you can find it links to the actual recording on my blog, My American Melting Pot. And just in the search bar, you can look up um, Black in Spain. And I've written about being Black in Spain in a lot of different ways. But the um, two-part memoir, it's, the first part is literally like the history of Africans in Spain. And part two is the interviews with people who currently live in Spain, all women except for one man who was actually, um, he was there teaching in Spain from the United States. Fabulous. I'll share those links in the show notes. And for anyone else who would like more information on what it's like to be Black in Spain, there are some great Facebook groups out there that you can tap into to talk to the Black community here. Um, Melanin in Melanin Madrid is a great one. Um, and then also Las Morenas de España, which I think the group name changed to Master Your Move Abroad, but I'll drop the links for both of those um, in the show notes for anybody who wants to, to reach out. 
Thank you so much for sharing, Lori. I got more questions, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to go on to asking. So, okay, so I think you're going to be writing, but I'm sure people are are interested to hear, like, what are you and your husband going to do for work? Like, how are you guys going to support yourself now that you've quit your job? I'm not sure what his work situation is, but you're moving with the family. How are you guys going to pay the bills? Debbie, that is such a good question. Um, (laughs) No, but really and truly, um, one of the things that I did in your group was figure this out that I saved a lot of money. Like I, I worked like a dog and saved um, a lot of money so that I could work on my creative writing. Um, I also do book coaching and I freelance write still journalism articles and I write book proposals, nonfiction book proposals. So I actually have more work than I ever have. Um, and so I will continue to do that, but without having to also juggle a full-time nine to five on the side. So that's kind of what I was doing in preparation, which I think everybody always asks about the money thing. Like, what are you going to do? And what I said was, um, when I said, I want to try this, I told myself, if I can match my salary with freelance work over this year, then I'll know that I can do this. And that's what I did. I matched my salary, my, my temple academic salary with freelance work, um, over a year. So I'm, I'm like, cool. Awesome. I can do this. And I proved it to myself. And again, without your class, I don't think I would have done it because money always scares me. And I don't like to think about it. And I think, oh my God, I could never make that much money. That's just not possible. And I shouldn't even think about it. I should just be grateful for whatever, whatever. But in fact, I made the goal. I said, I have to make this dollar figure. And I actually surpassed that dollar figure. Um, so I, so I will just keep doing what I've been doing, but without having to do two jobs at the same time. And as far as my husband, my husband is also a teacher. He's a professor at Princeton and he's going to be um, actually doing more. Um, he wants to do his own like teaching language courses, probably starting something of his own. Um, and again, doing some freelance writing and editing. He's done that in the past. And like me, he's wanted to do other things, but has always been kind of, you know, doing this straight and narrow thing. So we're both giving ourselves a little bit of a runway. Um, we've saved, so we have a little bit of a runway, but then we want to both be doing our own kind of creative, him writing and editing and language. He actually wants to do, um, he wants to start a group for language teachers because his PhD is in second language acquisition and he loves teaching teachers. So that's kind of what he wants to like do as his kind of claim to fame, if you will, as he's redefining himself as well. Awesome. And way to go on um, surpassing um, your teaching salary. That is a huge accomplishment. So proud of you. Well done. Thank woman. you. Thank you. Well, well, again, it was because of you. You were like, write down that, like you said, have these goals and write them down and make them specific. You smart goals. Remember? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And it was really scary for me to say, I, cause I've never, dieting and saving money are like in the same category for me where like if you're like you have to save money I'm like oh my god I have to buy something and but with COVID again there was nothing to buy there was no place to go so saving was actually easier this last year because there was not again no frivolous spending and forced savings and and it and we did it and because we had a real goal it wasn't just like save some arbitrary amount I put a number down we figured out how much we'd have to save each month happened. Yes. That's what you do. You make that plan, that exit strategy, and then you just take the steps. And before you know it, you are off. What about, so my, I'm curious because I feel like at the time last year when we were talking about this, I feel like this was like a one-year move. It wasn't like a forever move, but I'm curious to know, is this a long-term move for you and your family? Like, how do you see this move? Um, well, with the idea that nothing is like forever is really hard to predict. Um, but I don't ever want to move again, Seppi. Like moving is so stressful um, with four people, two kids. Um, it's just so stressful. So, and my poor kids are like, can we please never move again? And um, I, cause we move a lot for stupid reasons. Um, and I do feel badly actually about that uprooting them. So my kids beg us, like, can this be the last time we move? So In that sense, I want to say like, yeah, it's a forever move, but how do I know what's going to happen globally, pandemically, pandemic, with the pandemic, um, jobs, work, all that kind of thing. But I'd like to say 
I wouldn't do all this work if it weren't for like the long term. Again, I can't, and I have to be okay with not knowing if it really is. And sometimes I wake up in a cold sweat because I'm like, am I really moving to Spain for the rest of my life? That just seems really like a big deal. So on the one hand, I don't want to think about this, like all this work we're doing, we're selling everything. We're getting, we had to rehome my dog. He lives with my cousin now. Um, You know, all of these things aren't things that you would do if, it weren't for the long term. That being said, I've negotiated with my employer to, you know, if it's if I if I need to come back, can I come back if it's within a short time frame? Yeah, I don't own a home, so I don't. I we didn't we rent our home, so that wasn't the that's not a situation. But it is supposed to be for the long term. Like if you're gonna go, like I think again, listening to a lot of other people who've done this type of move, the first year is hard, or it's a honeymoon. And the second year is the hard year. And then it's not until the third year where you really hit your stride. So if things are hard, I don't want to just come on back. I want to give myself a chance. And I have to say the other thing real quick is that being in Spain isn't like, oh my God, I want to live in Spain so badly. It's more like, I want to see the world. I've wanted to travel and I haven't been able to. And being in Europe gives me the opportunity to see so much more. So maybe I won't be in the south of Spain for the rest of my life, but maybe I'll be in Portugal. Maybe I'll be in the south of France, two places they also really love. Um, So again, I can't predict the future, but I'm hoping that this is, you know, not something that all this work was done for a year long, like, woohoo, and then we're going to just come right back. No, I get you. It's hard to, I mean, people ask me too, are you in Spain forever? I'm like, well, forever is a long time. I don't know. Like for now it feels good. And I'm just going to keep doing this until, you know, if something changes, then, you know, I mean, I moved from Madrid to Malaga, which I never foresaw and that, that happened. So, um, Mm -hmm. you just kind of go with the flow, but, um, I'm excited to have you kind of in the hood now. Now I'm in your neighborhood. I'm where you were going to move. So yeah, it's so exciting. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'll like have a friendly face because that's, um, we aren't actually moving to where my pa- my husband's parents, his parents, his siblings, they're all kind of in a very small radius. They all live very close to each other. And I thought that he would want to move <laughs> to the neighborhood with his parents. But um, Malaga seemed to be a little bit more international, has a, a big airport. And understanding that, um, again, one of my kids is still in the U.S. You know, we have friends and family who definitely would want to come visit. And we didn't want to make it, you know, difficult for them to come see us. So We'll still be a good two hours away from friends and family. Um, so it's going to be a real like new experience for both my husband and I. And since he hasn't lived in Spain since he was like 21, he's never been a, an adult in Spain. So it's going to be new for both of us, which is kind of good. I would hate for him to be like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with my high school friends. You stay here. <laughs> um, it'll be like new for both of us. So it'll be great to see a friendly face at me. Yes, I can't wait to meet you in person. Yeah, and how exciting. What an exciting adventure for you, your husband, and your family. Um, I love it. And I'm glad you mentioned the dog. I was going to ask. I know you had asked in the group about what to do with your with your fur baby. And I know that's a tough choice. Uh, yeah, no dog shaming. I'm not into that at all. I When I moved to Spain, so I, I inherited my dog from my mother. My mother passed away. I became a dog mom. I didn't want to be a dog mom, but I was a dog mom. <laughs> And when I moved to Spain in 2015, I did not bring my dog with me. I left her with my with my aunt. And I did that for three years until kind of like like you said that, you know, you're just kind of finding your feet. It took me about three years to really settle in to this new life I was building here. And I went back and got her and brought her. Um, But yeah, having a dog with you abroad is a big decision. So I'm glad that you found a a nice, safe and loving home um, to relocate your pup to. Yeah, I mean, that was I mean, again, like. (laughs) I wish more people would talk about it because again, I listened to so many episodes of She Hit Refresh and, you know, other podcasts and not many people talk about their dogs and what does that mean? And I feel like particularly for the, the idea of rebooting your life, like our whole lifestyle is going to be different. Like everything about the way we live is going to be different. And so including traveling, I mean, part of, like I said, I'm really looking forward once the pandemic has, you know, made travel more accessible again. Um, I really hope to be able to see, I want to go to Africa. I want to go to Asia, like all the things that are closer now that you live in Europe. And I certainly wouldn't want to have to deal. My dog is 120 pounds. Like he's a huge dog. This is not a dog that you're going to be like putting the little 
purse and bring him with you on your little trips. So just thinking about that, even it's like, this isn't the, like my lifestyle now is very, we live in our house, our kids go to school in the neighborhood. Like it makes sense. Like our dog is very happy here. And just even thinking about the kind of trauma that that might have take, put on him to be, you know, shuttled all around. I don't know if that's the best thing for a dog. You know, I don't, I don't know at all. And I don't know what our life is going to be like. So that was definitely very traumatizing. But again, I'm so happy that my cousin, I feel like he's not getting away. He's just with my cousin and her husband and they love him. And we get, we have like a text chat, you know, so that we get pictures every day and we still talk to him every day. So that's definitely been a, a plus, but yeah, these kind of changes I wouldn't do for a, a temporary move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear Yeah. All right. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could talk forever. Um, I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning, but I'm going to mention this now that, so um, in this kind of series that I'm doing with Lori or this two-part series is we are checking in now, as you guys have heard, as she embarks on her move to Spain, but then we're going to check back in probably about six months after that, she, after she's in Spain to kind of see how, how she has settled in, what's been going on, her reflections. And so this is just the beginning of the insight and the story that you guys get to hear here. And I'm really excited to see how things unfold for you. Yeah, because I mean, at this point, Seppi, all we have is an Airbnb and a a rental car for a week. And then it's like, like, we don't know where we're going to live. We have like three different areas of Malaga, like Malaga City, but Malaga province. And literally we haven't, we have a three week Airbnb. We don't know where my kids are going to go to school. We don't know where we're going to live. It is truly going to be like, get us out of the U.S. and we still have to get our PCR test. Like we're, there's so many things in the next eight days. So like, yeah, when you talk to me next, I hope, like, th- let's just put it out there so we, you can ask me, hey, Lori, did this happen? Like, I would love to find a house, not an apartment, that's all on one floor, <laughs> which I know is not going to happen, but I would like to find a house all on one floor. I would like my kids to be able to go to school in the neighborhood that we live in, whether that's by bus or bike or whatever. And I would like to have a citrus tree somewhere in my yard. Put it out there. Put it out there. I love the citrus tree. I also want one of those when I have my home one day yep. here. Put it out. And, there. and we're, we're just renting. We're not even trying to buy. We're not looking to buy or anything. We're looking for a rental home. But that's the, that's the part that also makes this whole thing very um, like scary because it's not like we have a landing spot. Like we don't know anything but that's the best. That's why we're also leaving so early in May instead of like our kids have to finish school in Malaga. Like they're going to finish school in Spain, even though like we're taking them out of school early so we can enroll them in school in Spain. We're leaving early so we can find a house before the summer tourism begins. So that's the kind of rush as opposed to just kind of doing a little at a more reasonable pace. So yeah, when you talk to me next, I'm so prayerful that things will have worked out nicely. We'll find the right school for the kids, the right house for us, jobs for my husband and I, like like our, our freelance work going well. That's the dream. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt it's going to happen. You attract uh, what your intentions are. So no doubt that it's all going to work out for you. And I can't wait to hear about it. As we wrap up here, what I'd love to know, what advice you have for other women out there who are listening, who are like, oh my God, she's doing what I want to do but I don't think I can do it. What advice do you have for them? <laughs> okay. Besides taking Seppi's course. Um, <laughs> Thank you. No. And I mean that like whether it's Seppi's course or you just do the work yourself, the key thing is to really understand your why, like, why do you want to move abroad? And is it really a move abroad or do you just want to travel like and visit somewhere? Like once you clarify your why that is really critical because it can then push you through any of the fears that you have. I, I literally have my why written down in my little notebook. And again, when I am fearful, I go back to that and remind myself, this is why I want to do this. Like, I don't want to die with regrets. I want my kids to experience their culture. And I want to like have an opportunity to be a creative writer and not starve or, um, you know, not be able to have health insurance, that kind of thing. So like, I have my three really key reasons. Number two, The preparation, I think, is really key. Having money saved so that you're not arriving to this place and like stressed. I think, and I've heard a lot of other people say that, but I think that's really critical to give yourself cushion just in these like in the in the last like 
24 hours, you know, we have to pay for this PCR test. I mean, the pandemic makes things difficult, but you don't want to be like, oh, I guess I should not be able to do the things I need to do because of money. So having the money prepared takes a lot of the stress away. Um, again, we need a hotel the night before we leave because we're not going to have beds in our house anymore. I don't want to stress the fact that the, the hotel we need to stay in is a little more expensive, but it's okay because at this point it's about um, convenience, not about cost, right? So the money thing, having that set aside really can alleviate a lot of potential stress if you're not thinking, oh my goodness, now how am I going to do X, Y, or Z? And then the last thing, I cannot stress this enough, it's to really find your sources of inspiration, whether it's podcasts, blogs, talking to other people. But I, I literally have a steady stream of people in my ear who have done what I want to do so that when other people are like, you're so brave, you're so amazing, or, what, or this is crazy, I think, but there's like all these other people who've already done it. So it, it can't be that crazy. And I'm not even going anyplace crazy, crazy. You know, I know this. I listened to this woman who moved to Nepal or who moved to Rwanda and opened up a, you know, a restaurant. I'm not doing anything like that. So the, the constant like affirmation and reaffirmation that what you want to do is possible removes that kind of unspent, like fear of the unknown. So that's my work. Like I literally make myself listen to a podcast about somebody who has moved abroad for the last year, constant, 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 such that this thing that I'm doing doesn't even feel that crazy. It feels like I'm just joining a really cool group of people. Love that advice. Love it. Yeah. And it kind of reminds you of what you said of, um, Instead of thinking of like the worst thing that could happen, think about the best thing that could happen. Instead of looking like at all the people who aren't doing what you want to do, like tap into all those people who are doing what you want to do. Like there's an abundance of people out there who are radically changing their lives um, mm -hmm. by taking action on their dreams. And a lot of those dreams are moving abroad. Yeah. Oh, um, and one last thing is that um, like having a very realistic idea also, like, uh, the, and again, the pandemic forces you to do that, but like, not thinking that my life in Spain is going to be like this Shangri-La experience that's just so perfect. It's not. Um, keeping your expectations at like, not low, but just kind of at normal because that's what life is. And, and it goes back to knowing your why, like, why are you doing it? Not because you're like, oh, their life over there is so great. It's so wonderful. And my life is going to be like that. Like I recognize I have to pay taxes, do laundry and all the other things that go with real life. It's just in another country. So that's also, I think, really important so that when you do get there, you're not disappointed or depressed because life is life. Yeah. All right. And last, Lori, where can people follow you, find you, get in touch with you if they're interested? So um, I have a. Uh, a blog called My American Melting Pot, where I am, I've always been chronicling um, kind of the multicultural and the diverse. Um, and currently I'm chronicling my my trip abroad, this whole move to, to this move to Spain. Um, so that's myamericanmeltingpot.com. And I also have, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Lori L. Tharps. And that's Lori with, o, with an O, L-O-R-I, middle initial L and T-H-A-R-P-S. And yeah, so I'm totally chronicling. I just learned how to use stories on Instagram. So I'm using my stories to really plot these last few days. And like when I get to Spain, because um, again, I think it's great because that's what I want to see is like, what's it really like with my packing and all the stuff and like the nitty gritty of a move like this? What's it like? So I'm trying to do that um, on Instagram. So um, yeah. Fabulous. No doubt uh, your story is going to inspire other women to make the leap. So Lori, thank you so much for sharing um, your life change, your adventure, your insight, your knowledge, your experience with us. And I'm super excited to check in in about six months to see how things are going. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I wish I could just jump ahead and get a preview, but we'll all just have to live it and see what happens. All right. Thank you so much. All right, what did you think? I hope you enjoyed this teaser to season four, which will be coming out this fall. So stay tuned as we check in with Lori to see how life has unfolded in Spain. And also you hear from many more refreshers in our community and you'll get inspired by their stories. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the podcast. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts as well. It really does help to get new listeners and just get the word out about the She Hit Refresh podcast. If you're looking to move to Europe, don't forget to pick up I'm Out of Here, an American's ultimate visa guide to living in Europe. And you can find that on our site at shehitrefresh.com. It'll be right there on the homepage. And you can also find it here in the show notes. And if you're interested in taking the Make It Happen course that Lori mentioned, stay tuned because the next intake is in January 2021. Details to come. And last, if you're a woman aged 30 and over looking to hit refresh, please join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash she hit refresh. 